Okay. Real talk. Lady is finally asleep next to me in her car seat. And I thought, okay, this is my moment to shine and pop on and record a little something for you. This episode that you are about to listen to is so fantastic. I recorded it a few months ago, so some things are going to sound like they're in the past, so bear with me. But I've been sitting on this one because it's so, so, so amazing and so moving, and we pack so much information and love and energy in one podcast. It's with the fabulous Erwin Benedict Valencia, aka the godfather of gratitude. This human is so amazing. I talk about the story of how we met. We met online through a app called Clubhouse that was a voice activated app. And I got to actually meet him in person. One of the few people who was in like a COVID bubble that we were all meeting up with at the time. And Erwin is now on his way in the Philippines living his best life. Some people know him as the godfather of gratitude. Some people know him for his work with the New York Knicks. He shares an intimate story about Phil Jackson. And if you know me, I'm a super, super, super fan of basketball. I'm a super fan of the 90s Chicago Bulls and 2000s Lakers. And I'm the biggest fan of Phil Jackson, the best coach and spiritual human being um, of our generation, I feel like. He's just everything. So I thought this was such a perfect episode to get us ready and get us prepped for Thanksgiving. It's the perfect way for us to to really sit in our gratitude, to give each other grace. Thanksgiving is really hard for a lot of people. I know it's been very, very, very hard for me at times where I love my family and I would do anything in the world for them. But sometimes your family and your extended family may not know that you are in a dark place or you're feeling very heavy or you're dealing with mania and you're trying to just swallow it and act like everything's okay. And it can be very triggering for people because one little comment, whether it's meant to be passive aggressive or not, can really send you down a spiral. So that's why I'm sitting on this episode and I was saving it because if you're having a tough time, if you're not feeling heard, if you're not feeling seen, this is just something where you can take an hour, sit back, relax, um, and listen to someone who really has stepped into their own, have helped thousands and thousands of people really understand what gratitude is and how to find peace within yourself. Um, he is just everything and more. And I really hope that this episode brings a sense of healing and love and kindness and grace and gratitude to you. So thank you so much once again for listening to this podcast, for giving it the five stars or however many stars you feel it's it's um, worthy of and leaving comments and writing in. It's just been such a dream for me. See, now I'm going to get all mushy and crying. <laughs> it's been such a dream for me to still be able to have this form of connection to you. 
Um, I didn't know if I would be able to continue it with having a baby. It's been a lot, but in moments of lady taking a nap or moments of my mom or husband watching her, I have been able to continue on with this journey. And I feel like it's our journey together because you've come with me along this entire, entire ride of being, you know, just in a relationship to then marriage, to then pregnancy, to then birth, to now this new stage that I'm in of finding out who I really am, you know, reconnecting with myself and re-finding the identity I'm looking for. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope it's blessed. I hope it's not triggering or not too triggering. But just know, at the end of the day, you're not alone. You have me. You have emotional support. You have a community. And I love you so much. I hope you enjoy this episode. Give Irwin a follow. Um, and he is so great with social media in responding to people too. He's really fantastic. Um, so give him a reach out and let him know what you thought of the episode. And have a blessed, wonderful Thanksgiving. I love you so much. And thank you for being my emotional support. Welcome to Emotional Support. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. Oh my gosh, Erwin Valencia. Do you go by Benedict? Because you have it written down, so I never knew that. Um, yeah, my full name is Erwin Benedict, and the story of that is that there's actually another Erwin Valencia that lives in the New York tri-state area what? that happens to also be a Filipino, what? that happens to work in the mental performance space, that happens to be, I think, a na former Navy SEAL, and that happens to like also spend time in Tampa, Florida. So what? it's too kind of eerie. No, it's too well, eerie. Well, the Tampa, Florida thing is really specific. Um, yeah, very specific. <laughs> that's the best part. Well, let me start this over. Erwin Benedict Valencia, <laughs> welcome to Emotional Support. I am so thrilled that you're here. This podcast is truly a couple years in the making where we've been trying to do this. And of course, now we do it right when you like are about to go off the grid and never speak to anyone ever again, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> and let me just preface this. So for at least a year, you know. just for at least a year, a year, so just a year. When we so. decided to do this interview, you're like, right, we have to do it really fast because like, I'm kind of like going away and then I'm going to be like gone. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I didn't understand what was going on. So I can't wait to get into what you're doing for this next coming up year because for all intents and purposes, you're like going to space and you're going to be back when I'm like 80 years old or something. So we're just going <laughs> to pretend that that's what it is. But Erwin, the, the best part I think about you is you are, I've met you in person once, um, but we met originally virtually during the pandemic through Clubhouse, um, which mm -hmm. is that still mm -hmm. in existence anymore? I don't even know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I think there's still people that still kind of go. I have to say that Gratitude Gang, obviously right? the club that I founded right. over there, has has is, is, you know, has community about five fifty thousand people. Wow. And, and that's kind of constant, but people still click into sure. it to be part of the community, even though most of what we've done now rather than Clubhouse has been on Twitter spaces. Oh. So there's people from the community that I'm 
not even there. And they do they do gratitude sessions on Mondays and Fridays every week. Wow. Still. Well, that's so fantastic. Yeah. Well, you just like who you are in person and on a phone, which was like, for those who didn't know what Clubhouse was, it was a voice activated like app. It was like, it was like Twitter spaces if you're a part of that. Um, and yeah. you resonate the same energy on a phone right? With no face, nothing, like no expressions as you do in real life. And I think that that's something that's so rare and so magical. And that is why so many people really truly have such love for you, even if they don't know you, you know, as a best friend or anything, like you just, you have this energy to you. And I just want to know, like, have you had that since you were a baby? Did you have this like kind of Elvis complex, as I like to call it, you know, those like who are like, people are drawn to, you know, people are drawn to babies and you're like, I have no idea why, but like, I'm drawn to this person because they just have this energetic beautifulness to them. Did you always have this? You know, what's funny is you say the, what do you call the Elvis complex? Yeah. Is that what you said? Elvis yeah. complex? You know, what's ironic is that I was actually supposed to be named Elvis. No. So my grandmother who actually asked, I'm the firstborn of the youngest son between my grandmother and my grandfather. And my grandmother on my dad's side was one of the biggest Elvis fans in the Philippines. So big that when my grandfather was the secretary of public works and highways, he actually purchased the Mercedes limo that Elvis used when he visited the Philippines for his concert. You are kidding. Super fan. Like super fan. And so, she told my dad, it's like, when you have your firstborn, I want the firstborn's name to be Elvis if it's a boy. <laughs> my, oh. my dad's like, uh, no. <laughs> my mom's like, I think it'd be okay. Honestly, my dad's it could have like, worked. No, it could have worked. Elvis not, Benedict Valencia, I'm not mad at it. I'm really not mad at it. I'm into it. <laughs> That'd be so Filipino, though. That'd be so Filipino to be called Elvis Benedict Valencia. <laughs> Way too Filipino. So typical Filipino to do that. So, so not only is it ironic that my name would have been that, but number two, I think I've, I, I've always had that. I've always resonated with me. I think I, I was always, I was born a happy baby, an active baby, somebody that wanted to like, my mom would say that I have a, uh, I have, I, when I was born, I had a mole on my foot mm. and in Filipino lore, if you must, sure. that, that means that you're going to be, uh, uh, in a laquachero or somebody who's going to be walking the earth oh, wow. basically for the rest of his life. That's like a free spirit if you must. Oh, wow. and so that was, since I was, yeah, since I was little, my mom's like, oh, this one's going to be trouble because he's going to be, he has a mole on his foot and he's just going to keep constantly going. Cut to so. after this interview, <laughs> I'm going to go look if my daughter's foot has a mole on it. <laughs> <laughs> because I can't recall, but I'm like, maybe it does. And I haven't looked close enough, even though I probably have. Um, oh my God, that's so exciting. Now, were you born in the Philippines or were you born in the States? I was born here. I was born in a town called Pasig, New Jersey. Okay. That was where the hospital was. But at that time, my mom was living in Lodi, New Jersey with my dad. Uh, she was going to business school at Fairleigh Dickinson, which is business school right in, in the Teaneck, New Jersey area, while working as an admin assistant to my great uncle, who was this amazing town doctor cardiologist that um, really became the cornerstone of my mom and dad's wish for who I was going to be, because not only was he uh, a renowned physician, he also served the community practically for free in Lodi, New Jersey, all the way till his death. I mean, he was a guy that he did his fellowship and residency in Mount Sinai in New York, 
and then he did it under a student visa in a sense. And so when his time was almost done, you know, even when he was in Loda, he was already taking care of, of the neighbors, wow. so to speak, on his own, just for free. And when his time was done and the INS came knocking on his door, you know, to take him out, it was his neighbors that grouped together, signed a petition, lobbied it to the senator, and the senator petitioned him personally. Oh, and he ended up getting a green card because of it. And you would think that after that, somebody would be like, oh, okay, I got it good now. I can go wherever. No, he decided to stay in Lodi and continue to even take care of people in town until the day he died. Oh my gosh, so. how wonderful. Where is that story? Someone needs to make a movie out of that. That is incredible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> No, I know, so I know. But on the flip side, my father, who was in the U.S. doing his on-the-job training or postgraduate, he went to business school at the Harvard of Japan and ended up in the Japanese firm in Wall Street. And he, on the other hand, looked at my great uncle as like the guy who was like the man because he always changed his cars every two years and he had the Cadillac that my dad loved. Later, only for me to find out that he was basically leasing them no. and it was a tax write-off. You know, basically, if my great, you know, like if you're a physician and you're using a car, that's a business expense and that's a tax write. That's why you change every two years because you don't want a car getting old because then, you know, from a business expense standpoint, that doesn't make sense. So my father, who thought that, hey, he just paid cash for cars every two years. I'm like, Pop, that's a lease. You're like, Dad, that's that's a lease Cadillac. That's you, 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 you basically tricked me my entire life and in a sense, forced me to get into medicine thinking that great uncle Henry bought cash <laughs> with the cars by cash every two years, but really he leased it, but you got me. But, you got you got me. Me, so. but I have to say there's something about families who are um, like parents. Like I, I just remember like my dad and like his family, like it was all about like American cars, Cadillacs. Like if you had a Cadillac, you've made it right. You know, and my dad like yes. constantly had Cadillacs. And like, if you look at the, and I'm Italian, right? So if you look at the old like mobster movies, right? They're always like, Lincolns, <laughs> they're always in Cadillacs. Like there's something like you've made it in the, in America. Like you're a true blooded American. If you have oh, a Cadillac yeah. or a Lincoln. <laughs> like that big car with the springy seats. Yeah. It's like, that's America. That's you're, American made, you, you know? It. Oh my gosh. You made it. it. Yeah. So funny. Now, I have to ask, how did you become the godfather of gratitude? Was this something <laughs> that you did? I mean, I obviously want to get into the NBA and sports because everyone that listens to this podcast knows, like, my life. I'm obsessed with the NBA, so we will get into that. But, like, obsessed. But... I mean, how does, is this something that, you know, obviously we now know that you were completely born with this Elvis complex, as we're going to say, the Elvis Benedict Valencia complex. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to say it is. Um, (laughs) But, you know, did you always know, like, I know that you got into medicine, but did you know, like, wow, this is where it comes down to? This is the base. Was this something that you were taught from your family? Like, where where does that even come from, gratitude? You know, at such a young age, uh, growing up in the Philippines, you are already born with the awareness that when you step outside your door, you step outside your gate, you will see the difference between those that have and those that have not. Mm. And we were constantly reminded of how fortunate we were to, to have. Gotcha. That said, because we did have, we were also reminded to make sure that we gave back to those that have not. Oh. And I think 
my grandfather, who was a public servant, he was a governor of a province, and then he became the undersecretary of public works and highways. He, he, you know, he always served his people mm. in, in the right way. And my father, who going to college in Japan, you know, when he came back to the Philippines, he served the Filipino people by making sure that trade relations between the Philippines and Japan were were in tip top wow. shape on a regular basis. And then, and then for me, weirdly enough, I've always been the guy that always took care of people and, and I nurtured community and I nurtured people around me. And if anyone need anything, I was one of the first guys that says, I got you, I got you what you need. You need advice, you need some shoulder to cry on. I was always that person. And, and then I think that came from the fact that from the beginning on, we were reminded to be thankful because we were lucky. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where it all stems from, which is ironic because I'm going back to the Philippines uh, next week. There's an award given called the Multi-Generational Award to uh, alumni of the University of the Philippines where my grandfather, my father, and I all went to school. Wow. Given to uh, three generations of alumni that not only didn't had amazing careers and what they did in their life, but also that they continued to serve their people. And it's really kind of... Um, <sighs> It, it's telltaling for from where I've come from in my life sure. and from my family's lineage of, of servant leaders. Sure. Where that comes from inside of me. And the godfather part is funny because I, I think, number one, technically it's supposed to be uh, older brother. So in Filipino, the term is kuya. Kuya, kuya means old. I'm an older brother to everyone in the Filipino community. I'm an older brother to all the new people that are coming in in the world of sports and wellness and in the NBA. And particularly if you're Asian American or or especially more if you're Filipino, I will, I'm the guy that says, Hey, I'll take care of you. What do you need? How can I make your experience better? So technically it's cool. But also because of that, those who then who have family and have kids, I've become every, you know, every, the number one godfather material for everybody. Literally. I don't even remember. I, I feel bad. I think I have more than 10 godchildren. I don't even remember which ones they all are. Some of them are just going to like, I think I'm going to go back to the Philippines and somebody's going to be like, oh, hey, that's your godfather. You haven't yeah. seen him in 20 years. He owes you like $20,000 yeah. now or something like that. Like, So so I think that's so that's where the godfather comes from. But then obviously gratitude because sure. you know about seven years ago, um, not only did I always already have gratitude, but then I was questioned for my gratitude mm. and my practice of it. I had a girlfriend in 2014 or 2015, I think. And she always asked me, it's like, so what are you grateful for and why? And I said, well, I'm Filipino. I, you know my history. You know where yeah. the lineage I've come from. Uh, you know, I'm always grateful because I've been lucky in my life. Sure. He goes, no, no, no. But this moment in time, in this moment, what is the one thing or who's the one thing you're grateful for and, and, and why? Right. And I want to hold you accountable for that. And I was like, wow, okay. So she kind of flipped the switch on me. And it started made me start thinking. And so her and I were together and it was a practice that we did every single day, whether we were together or not. And when we broke up, I think in 2015 on Valentine's Day, we broke oh. up. And then a few months later, I just I just felt something empty yeah. inside of me that like nobody kept on holding me accountable mm. for what I was grateful for. I kept on saying, I woke up in the morning and said, oh, I'm grateful for this, but nobody was holding me accountable. Sure. And so I decided to do what is now known as the daily gratitude, which is something that I've been doing since 2015. Really, I put it out on Instagram and just said, okay, this is why I'm grateful for and why. And it made the world accountable, hold me accountable. And then after that, ironically, so many people started like 
DMing me and saying, hey, I wait for your gratitude, daily gratitude every morning. It makes me feel better. I'm all the way in Iran. I'm all the way in Brazil. I'm all the way in Africa. And it just, I said, you know what? I'm just going to continue with this. I even had a guy that made a song. He was so inspired that he made a song called Gratitude, which I feel bad now. I don't remember. Who, right. Hopefully he's listening here and he'd be like, I made that song. Remember? Right, I'm like, right, oh my God. Right. But that's interesting, holding the accountable, right? And and how you are asking the universe to hold you accountable and vice versa. I, I that's really great. Do we still talk to the girl, the ex-girlfriend? She sounds wonderful. My yeah, God. she's actually, you know what's funny? She was the first uh, and she is the first ex-girlfriend that I've continued to be able to be friends with. Yeah. She now has a family of her own and stuff. And I think the beautiful thing is that our relationship as tumultuous as it was, she was in the middle of a growth situation mm. and she just happened to take it out on me as she was growing. And I think that's a lesson for me to learn that we, you know, when we're in relationship, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be the, our, our each other significant others coaches. Right. In a sense, right. I think, or, or advisors, I think advisors, yes, but we shouldn't be coaching each other, right. You know, directly, so to speak, unless it was something you flip the hats with the switch and be like, okay, now today, right now is coaching sessions because it's a business coaching situation. Right. But from a relationship standpoint, you can't be like, like coaching somebody else because then this is, or mentoring particularly, because then that means that you're not equally growing. You're like, you're, the you're balance is off. it has to be separate. Yeah. Ha- the balance is off. Yeah. The balance is off. So I think for her, her and I, we continue to be in touch because she was such a significant part of my life. She taught me how to hold space. Mm. And she was one of the first people that says, uh, you know, she would, cause she was Gemini. So she would be like, Gemini. She was Gemini. Yeah. She would be Gemini. She'd be like, she'd be like, I feel bad. Oh, okay. Let me give you a hug. Why are you holding me like this? I'm independent. I can do it myself. I can take care of myself. I was like, but you just asked me to hold you. It's like, yeah, but I just want you to be there for me. It's like, but I want to hold you. Like, what do you want? It's like, I want you to be there. Okay. I'll give you a hug. And then, then I leave her alone. And she'd be like, why aren't you like holding me and taking care of me? Yeah. I'm like, what do you want? I totally feel That's for so her. That's the Gemini in me too. <laughs> do you do that? Because I was so confused. Yeah. I was like, I, I, what, what do I do? No. Like, and then that's when she told me to hold space, just be, there. just be there. No, I, I see it with my daughter too because she's a Gemini as well. It's, it's. Oh my goodness! I know my poor husband, and and she'll want to hold our hand, and as soon as you go to hold her hand, then she's like, no, oh, like let go of my hand. Oh, like, and I'm like, oh my god, like what do you want? <laughs> Anyways, I'm like seeing myself way too much in her, and I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be trouble. <laughs> But it's going to be trouble. But huh? I love that, that she taught you how to hold space. And I think that it's so wonderful, you know, that you have opened up what gratitude means to so many people around the world. Because, you know, you hear it from people or you, you know, you, I guess because I'm in this world where I'm like learning things from a kid's point of view. I'm now seeing mm. like how people may teach gratitude, right? And I'm like, okay, that's great. But it's as simple as holding space. It's as simple as breathing and meditating and really just like kind of, you know, going, I'm grateful that I have a roof on top of my head today. Mm. Like that is something that we don't, you know, it's not the little things like I'm grateful for, you know, this diamond ring or whatever. No, it's truly, <laughs> you know, it's the it's the things that I'm I'm so grateful that I have shelter. And I think that 
You have to have an important milestone in your life to really appreciate that and really understand what it is to be grateful. And like for me, it was like, I have a healthy baby. I could not be more blessed and be Mm. more grateful because you see so many other families who may not have gone through such an easy, you know, healthy baby or their baby may not have made it, you know? And so you, you really have to think, the universe for this stuff. And I think it's so important. So, you know, just so you know, I think that there are a lot more people than you can even imagine that look forward to your, your gratitude, you know, your morning gratitude. (laughs) I mean, truly, because some days, I mean, I know I get up and I'm just like, I can't even breathe. Right. I'm just so overwhelmed. Mm. And just hearing one nice thing from a stranger can truly just change your whole perspective up. And I think that, not to put all the responsibility on you, but it's like it, it, what you're doing, it really truly helps so many people. Now, how did you get in to the NBA? Because this is all a switch and, and physical therapy. Like I totally understand how you need that in the NBA and how you need sports medicine because I have family in sports medicine, but how do you go? You know what? This is like, this is for me. This is the the wild ride I'm ready for. Cause it's a wild ride. Well, the the ride is not only wild, but the story behind why that came to be is even wilder. Um, for me, as a longtime multi-sport jock, but also happened to be a creative and an academic simultaneously. You know, it was you know it was hard for me when I was growing up to really know what I really wanted to do sure. and what my real calling was. And you know, for a while. Um, I thought, you know, for a while, since I was little, my parents always forced me in a sense, forced <laughs> this relative term from any particularly very Asian parents. Um, maybe the word's not forced, but highly suggested <laughs> that I become a neurosurgeon from uh, the, the time that I can remember. Because sure. I remember sure. being uh, in, in a, I was in prep or prep, I think, prep, prep, preparatory school or, or kindergarten. And there was a yearbook. Uh, drive and we are all our pictures in the yearbook and and I think the teacher asked me okay hey Erwin uh, okay what do you want to be when you grow up and I asked my mom hey mom I, I we have to write this thing on on, on the yearbook what am I going to be grow up and my mom goes you're going to be a neurosurgeon honey and I was like what's that just write it down just write it down she was like, oh. she was counting those bills she was like I know the oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like oh, okay all right because I think in their head they not only wanted what my my grandpa Henry did in Lodi, New Jersey, but to even up it even higher yeah. than what he did, you know, because like it's like Cadillac's fine, but for you, you're going Lamborghini. You're kid. going Lamborghini. <laughs> oh, and 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 as as a new mom, I totally see that where you're like you put like it's not even pushing, but like I know my parents were like, oh no, you're gonna be an engineer, like you're gonna be because my parents were both in technology and in computers, and and they oh, were like, wow. oh you're gonna you're gonna invent this and you're gonna do that, and so I always thought, or I would be a lawyer. That's what they would always say, and I was like. But I'm singing and dancing. Here I am like, woo, you know, I'm an actress, you know, very different. But I understand the the um, the enthusiasm behind suggesting (laughs) 
well, you'll have a much easier life than being a struggling, struggling like creative type, you know? Um, so I under, I understand. I also, on a side note, grew up in um, a school and in a town. I grew up in the Bay Area and every one of my friends, you know, I, 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 I was immersed in Asian culture to the point where I didn't eat fish. I didn't eat meat. I was a vegetarian as a little kid, but I wanted so badly to have the Hello Kitty bento boxes that my mom would put my steamed <laughs> veggies in there. So like for me, like I totally understand my best friends are Filipino. Like I understand this, like, <laughs> like I understand this culture of, of the parents being like, no, this is what you're going to do. And this is who you're going to be, you know? Um, I know. But it, but it's, but it's great. And it, it, it puts almost like a drive in you to be like, okay, I mean, maybe it sets you up for failure for sometimes, but I mean, anyways, go on with your story. This is not about, but, but you take it, but I think you, I, I was lucky enough to take it for what it is. And yeah. I, growing yeah. up, I felt the, the, the bigger calling for me was when I was, in, when I was living in San Jose, um, I was there by myself because there was a massive, um, um, insurgents happening in the Philippines and at the time that the Marcos regime was going down and there was revolution happening I had to be sent out and on a plane as an eight-year-old kid to San Jose California to live with my godfather for pretty much like a year and a half or so to escape that and 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 that's a whole different story in itself where you know I was almost kidnapped and killed and and you know with all the situations but but I didn't even know why I got sent to the to the U.S. to right. San Jose. All I know is I don't play by myself, and I thought it was going to be a nice, a long holiday. Uh, but I ended up going to school. I worked. I had a newspaper route that I worked and made four dollars an hour. You know, I like to make some money. Yeah. But I, I remember watching. There was a time MTV was just starting, but also CNN Sports started mm. doing this thing where a guy named Fred Hickman started making funny comments when he would show and present sports right. stuff. I said, wow, I love sports. I love the fact that this guy is like ad-libbing yeah. how he does the sports news. There's, first of all, there's news about sports. And back in the day, it's like, um, now to the NBA where the Knicks triumph over the Celtics and blah, blah, blah. Right. That, that's how news, sports news was reported. But here's a guy who was like, well, yeah, that was a hard one. Yeah. You know, the Knicks should have done better. Than, or, you know, like, this, like, we're... This it was like a fascinating thing. I was like, wow, I was so captivated by this and MTV happening at yeah. the same time. And I said, that's what I want to be. Mm. I, I want to be, I, I want to be like a new, a funny new sports anchor that brings attitude and fun to yeah. reporting the love I have for sports. I remember growing up and my father would have these, starting at 14, 15, my father would have these, these covert meetings mm. sla meetings slash mentorship sessions with me and my siblings and we would they would happen around brunch time on sunday where we would eat the newspaper would come out he would be reading the newspaper and we're all eating brunch and then when my father's done eating and we're all still in the table newspaper will go down a cigarette will spark he'll take a breath and he'll just ask one question to one person in the in the in the table it's a round table too and he'd be like Erwin, what do you, what, what you, what's your plans for the next five to 10 years? Incredible. Incredible. And I'm like 14 <laughs> going like 14 going like, um, I, I, I don't know. I just want to play sports. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But then that, that would be a cue for my brother and my sister to kind of just like escape the brunch table. Oh my gosh. So 
if it's somebody else, if, if somebody else gets picked, sure. I like, oh, I, I got to see some friends yeah, and if I, I don't want to be in the hot seat. Uh, my friend says, if they're calling me, I'm going to go to the park yeah. just to escape the situation. I have homework. So this was a thing. And so wow. uh, it was funny. I told my dad, I, I want to be like Fred Hickman. I want to be in MTV or I want to be in sports. And, uh, and my father would be like, do you know the percentage of people that make it in that world? Less than 1%. Yeah. yeah. You know? And the worst, the worst that ever happened to you that I was so afraid of that, that direction you went to is that you end up being a purple velour suit wearing MC of a cruise ship that's introducing the Filipino band that is the cover band at that cruise ship. That's so specific. I own, my, my parents love cruises. I don't understand how that became the specific image he the had in his head. Jumps. The purple velour suit wearing MC to the co- Filipino cover band in a cruise well, ship. Well, he must have seen that. That's where it came from. <laughs> Like if you don't make it in the broadcasting industry, that's, that's where you're, where you're going. going to end up. It's one or the other. <laughs> what? That was such a weird thought process for me oh when he said God. that. Oh my God. Wow. And, and then he goes, but then look at your Lolo Henry. Not only did he have a new Cadillac every two years, he helped the people of his neighborhood mm. and they, they helped him get a green card because of it. Right. And this made me be like, that's what happens when you become a physician. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> so how do I mix being a physician and being a velour wearing jumpsuit uh, cruise ship director? Where is that? Where's the <laughs> middle of that? That's the word. That's the word I'm going for. <laughs> This is where I am now. That's where you are right now. <laughs> this is where I am, where where I'm in the world of sports. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm still in the medical profession, but my parents have no idea what I really do. Wow. Meanwhile, when I'm not in the world of sports, I'm on a stage emceeing, wearing a velour coat, but introducing, you know, mental health thought people. leaders yeah. from around the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of like came up with the best like intermediate like job like of all time and i think that it's like the coolest job that you have too were you inspired by my inspiration in life phil jackson like and for those who may not know who phil jackson is phil jackson was an nba player but also how do you not know well i feel like a lot of people don't know sports and and the reason why I feel I feel like became so famous, right, to maybe those who are not in the sports world is because he truly made the number one team of all time with Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, like the Bulls, and then he did the Lakers. And he has the whole mindset of meditation, of grounding oneself, of being in the moment. And, I mean, that is how you win those NBA rings. I mean, I'm sorry. It's how you do it. You you see it. There's so many times where I just want to shake the shit out of LeBron James. And I'm like, just take a breath. Take a breath right now. Let's, you know, same with Jimmy Butler. I'm like, come on. You know this. You know this. Let's go, you know. Um, and you can see kind of just the absolute focus um, of those players who have been trained under Phil Jackson. So seeing that, you know, when you first started working for the NBA, were you always working for the New York Knicks or were you working for other teams as yeah. well? So you've only been no. Knicks like through and through. From a basketball perspective, basketball. I was with the Pirates. From a baseball perspective for eight years prior oh, wow. to that. Wow. So I, I was eight years and as a Pittsburgh Pirate. Took two years off to start a social enterprise called Kinetic, which 
which basically allowed me to do the four hour work week, travel around the world, create as much impact as I can to the places that don't have readily access to sports medicine education, but also give me an excuse to go salsa dancing all over the planet. Oh so I love for two years. Oh my God. I yeah. love Look at these like little <laughs> like, then, gems you're and dropping. Basketball. And then what? And then you went to the- <laughs> And then basketball came to my life. And then life. basketball yeah. came to your life. And were you a big basketball fan? Were you, was that your like number one sport I mean, you think? I'm, I'm Filipino. Filipino, it's God. Yeah. It's Manny Pacquiao at the height of Manny Pacquiao and then basketball. And And we are a rabid basketball-loving country. And it's funny because it was actually chronicled. uh, There's a book called Pacific Rims that that a Fulbright scholar went to the Philippines to investigate why Filipinos love basketball so much. And he looked at the history. He went to the library. He went to the small villages and towns. I mean, he spent four years there wow. and wrote a book called Pacific Rims to chronicle all of that and just realizing why we're so right. It's such a fascinating Oh my gosh, I can't wait to read this book. Why. Yeah. So so it's such a fun and he's a guy from Detroit. Uh his name is and his name is Rafe. His name is Rafe uh, uh but he calls himself in Filipino uh, uh Tio Paeng, which is basically Uncle Uncle Raf, oh Uncle Rafe, so to speak, oh my which is God. really kind of funny. Um, and yeah, so we love basketball. Job. So I mean, at some point, these your parents must have been like, "This is the NBA." Like, he's not messing around at this point. This is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Even though, even though my parents, my mom particularly, still did not understand what I did in the NBA, mm. even as I saw the job, because my mom, right after my first year, would be like, um. Honey, I have a question for you. And I said, what, what is it, Mama? He goes, I, I don't understand what you do. They pay you to watch basketball games? I go, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I watch you all the time on TV. You're wearing a suit and you're watching a game. But they pay you for this? I go, well, Mom, most of what I do is like really before yeah. when I'm not in a suit and after when I'm off of the suit, yeah. uh, you know, to take care of the players. But I don't understand. Where's the hospital? I go, mom. There's, there's, there's no hospital. I mean, there's a hospital, but on emergencies only. But, but if the players are injured, they don't go straight to hospital. I go, no, mama. They, they, we have like a clinic in the back, and 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 we see them there. We have our surgeons there with us. We have our primary care person too. We even have EMS if there's like a big, big situation. We have to go. But how about the equipment? You have like x-rays or something like this? And I was like, we actually yeah. do. We have all these x-rays. We have all these things. We have things to check on an emergency, whether a guy can play or not. I, But I still don't understand it. Oh. They pay you for this? And I'm like, yeah, they do. They do. Quite handsome. They do. They do. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Oh, I, I don't know. This is not, I don't understand this. But okay, as long as you're happy. As long as you're happy. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're happy and as long as you're making a paycheck. You know what I mean? And it's coming home. Yes. Like, exactly. And you're taken care of. Exactly. And what is it That's exactly, exactly like? What was the selling point that you how you got the job. I mean, you know, for someone maybe who's listening right now who is looking to do something that's, you know, in their wheelhouse, but to kind of make the impact to be like, no, this is why I'm your person. Was there something that you brought, like, which I know, which is what it is, is like you bring this whole gratitude, spirituality, like grounding, meditation vibe to it. But is that kind of what you showed to get that job, to seal that deal? Well, funny story. Um, I was in the middle of my two-year hiatus traveling around the world doing the four-hour work week. And on my birthday on, on July 
second, 2014, I woke up in the morning in, I was in Prague. Mm. I gave gratitude to the universe for allowing me to live such a fun life and work this four hour work week and travel around the world salsa dancing. And I, but I said, you know, there's one thing that's missing that I want to wish for on my birthday. And it's the vision that I had when I was 18 years old, which was stark and clear that woke me up in the middle of the night, which is the vision of me standing in an arena surrounded by thousands of people with the lights and sounds and basketballs jumping up and down and the, even the smell of cologne and popcorn mixed together. And I said, if you can fulfill this dream of mine that I've had since 18, I'll never ask you for anyone, anything else, whoever you are up there. Right. And that's what I asked for. And so that was on July 2nd, 2014. And so I woke up that morning, I gave gratitude to the universe. I, I decided instead of popping champagne and making it rain, like I've normally had on my birthday, I decided to give hugs. Mm. So I went to the middle of the street in Prague pre-COVID yeah. <laughs> with consent, uh, just let everyone knows. And me and my two Czech friends, we went we went into the middle of, of the clock tower square in Prague. And with a GoPro in my head, we decided to give hugs. And we gave about 300 hugs in about three hours to random people. And at the end of the night, uh, an American guy, weirdly enough, who worked for UPS or FedEx was over there. And he was kind of already a bit inebriated and he was like hey man i was like hey what's up dude i was like i really enjoy what you're doing i was like you know i was like oh you mean giving hugs on my birthday you know he goes no yeah 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 but you know there's 30 31 days in a month and you know most of those days they're unremarkable they're not memorable but you know what today out of the 31 days in this month that i'm having I don't think I'll forget this. Oh my so I just gosh. want to say thank you. And I was like, it gave me such a joy sure. that he shared that to me. And it just filled me up so much that, you know, the only thing to do that night when the, when the sun came down was to go salsa dancing again. And, um, uh, and two days later, I got a call. I got a call from a buddy of mine who had been working at that time for Red Bull and he was a consultant for an NBA team. And he says, where are you right now? I was like, I'm in Prague giving hugs. And he goes, do you want a job in the NBA? I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, depends. What are you talking yeah. about here? Yeah. Do they want me to <laughs> I try to keep cool. You know, <laughs> you know and um, yeah, it's that started a cascade uh, within a two week span I got two, three weeks span. I got calls from four, five teams. Wow! I didn't send a CV anywhere. I didn't apply for any job. I don't know whoever recommended my name, but apparently I was the free agent du jour wow. at that point in time. And once my name came out, everybody wanted to have a conversation with me. And it was funny because it was the time that I let go of that. Right. It wasn't when I was forcing because I had prior to that, about six months or so prior to that, I had two interviews with two different teams and I forced, I was like, I want this job so much. It's like, I was depending yeah. my life on it. And, and it was the two teams and I ended up getting second place on both those jobs. Mm -hmm. I didn't end up getting the gig for both jobs. I was second place. And, and it, it just told me that maybe number one, if I want something, have the intention with pure heart, sure. but then let the universe do its job. Number one. And number two, maybe those two locations weren't the place for me to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. Because why? Because yeah. I deserve to be somewhere where it's bigger and brighter. Yeah. 
and where it's the best of the best, you know? Yeah. And so what's funny about that is that, you know, when, when I literally, I was, when New York called me, I was actually in Brussels and he's like, I was like, okay, I'm, it's like, okay, you know what? Uh, I know you're on the way to Miami because yeah. I had an interview with the Heath and Eric Spolstra, who was the, with the Filipino, half Filipino guy. Yes. He was like, I right, come over here. And then he was like, before you fly there, we're going to intercept you, pass by New York, change your ticket, and then you can go to Florida after that. And so, okay, so change my ticket, pick me up in a limo, found myself in, in, in New York, and and then, you know, and then I got interviewed and basically was like, you're the only person we're looking at. Wow. And you have to tell us whether you want this or not. And I was like, excuse me? Well, I still have like four other teams. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. Well, I'm just going to make you think a little bit, but know that you're the only person we want. Yeah. And you, you can go sense. do different things or you can just, Stay. you know, say yes now. And I was like, can I at least get 24 hours? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. it was the, it was the, it was the craziest thing. And then I said, and the reason why New York came to was my choice was number one, it was in a city where a lot of people who took care of me in the two years I was traveling the world would likely go to mm. even as a layover. Right. Right. And if I can take care of them and show them the gratitude uh, and take care of them and show them the gratitude that, 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 that I could for them taking care of me when I was in their place, I would do it immediately Incredible. because it's a place that they're probably going to go to. Yeah. Number two, I have two friends that were already in the team that were good friends of mine who literally called me when the opportunity showed up from their own offices and be like, yo, where are you, man? Like they were calling me simultaneously. Where are you? When somebody got moved over, I was like, suddenly like the spot open. Right. I was like, where are you? Cause, and they're like, well, just, just call. There's something going on. We can't really tell you officially, right. but there's something going on. I'm like, what the heck? Number three, number three, you know, I was, told that it would be a place that would be a good place for me for all my philanthropic work mm. because you know being part of new york and being part of the society if you want people to contribute to your nonprofit, there's no better place than new york for people to write that check yeah. and give you the money right you know especially if you're in that situation and then number four but probably more importantly it was a chance to work with my idol who is phil jackson it was like it was a dream of mine I, when I was following, just like you, following Chicago and LA. Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Like, I can't imagine. You know, following LA, Chicago and LA, I always wondered, was it Michael and Kobe that really liked or followed? It actually wasn't. Phil. It was Phil. Because he was a coach. He was a teacher. Mm. He was a guru. He was a Sherpa. He was a guide. He was a mentor. And I felt such a, such a calling to be with him. And even though for the first month, he didn't talk to me. He just watched me for the first month. I just knew that that this was the right place to be. Yeah. yeah. Wait, what happened after the second month? Well, after the first month, he literally during training camp, he literally the first time he talked to me was he, I was crouching down to get ice bags for one of our players, and he literally like was he hovered above me. Yeah, he's huge. And was like, "Well, hello, Irwin. <gasps> I heard that you were the person to speak to regarding." the many ailments in my life. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> Mr. Jackson. <laughs> what the heck? And I was like, it was kind of scary. Mr. I was Jackson. like, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> I was like, sir. And he was like, yes, I've had many things happen to me in my old age. And I heard you were the person to speak to. And I was like, yeah, sure. I, I mean, it was weird for me. Cause I was like, I was, he was my, boss but at the same time i was starstruck sure, sure. because he was my idol right. but at the same time i was like 
I have to be professional. I, like, I, I was right. very confused. I was very confused what to do. Yeah, right. All I knew was one of the first things I did when I actually forgot the job with the next, I said I needed a haircut mm. because Phil wanted everybody to look nice and neat. And that was one of the things that's funny. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. And, and the, there began um, our relationship wow. uh, really for three years. He was the reason why I came, became from a staff member to, at that point, the, the head of, you know, the next medical and performance staff, you know, and, and our conversations were magical. Wow. It was like, I feel like I could write a chapter in my book that I'm writing just purely on the conversations with the Zen master. What is something that, that, you know, obviously you don't want to share such personal things, but what is something that you could leave us with? or more importantly, me with, like something that was so inspiring that maybe Phil said to you that really, you know, kind of, I don't know, like made you want to wake up that morning or something because I feel like he would have those kinds of things to say to somebody. Um, For me, one of my favorite things, which I feel bad now when they changed our phone systems, was that there was a recording that he left on my office phone um, where when we were starting to work with each other personally, I was taking care of his health. I was helping him with his exercises and stuff like that. And, and we were just about to start the process. And he left me a message just to let me know when we would start it. And he would be like, and the message went like, hello, Irwin. It's Phil Jackson. Um, it's Friday. I think it's Friday but would it be okay if we met on Monday for the stuff? And I'm like, and basically, and then you'd be like, it is Friday, right? Oh my God. Okay. And then he just clicked. And I was like, and the reason why that was so valuable in my life, because it reminded me that he was still human. That right. as much as a, as a genius of who he was, this Yoda figure in my life, and I was lucky to be Luke Skywalker, um, he was still a, a quirky human right. being. Who couldn't remember what day did, it was. But was confused whether it was a Friday right. or a Thursday or a Saturday. And I will never forget that. And I thought that that the, the phone systems would hold us forever. Oh. But unfortunately, when they changed the phone systems, they just eliminated us. Oh. But yeah, I mean, that's so true. It's like, you, I think that we always put on a pedestal our idols so much. And that's why I think it always comes like, don't meet your idols, right? A lot of the time they can be assholes, um, which I've been lucky to, to meet a bunch of idols who were not assholes. So I've been very lucky. Um, except for, and I'm going to say my story to you because only you're going to appreciate this. The only person that was ever rude to me and refused to give me an autograph, and I've talked about it in Maxim, FHM, I've talked about it in every interview and I'm going to talk about it here, was um, Scotty Pippen. And what? Yep. Yep. And it was, I think I was like maybe six years old or something. And I would always go when I would visit my grandpa, my grandpa tickets to the Chicago Bulls. And because that's where my, my parents were, my, my mom is from and my grandparents are from. So we would always go. So for me, I was so obsessed with Long story short, with Dennis Rodman, he was the, my obsession. I hated Barbie. <laughs> of course someone, he was. Anytime someone gave me a Barbie, I would cut his, cut the Barbie's hair and I would 
magic marker, whatever his hair was of the game, I would do. Oh. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like that's my obsession, right? Okay. Like the circles, like when he did the circles? Yes. Like when he did the leopard, when he did the green hair. Like the leopard or I whatever. Yeah. The bride Barbie oh when he dressed up as a bride. Like oh I had it all. God. So uh, when one time we had gone to dinner after one of the games and all the players happened to be out and I had said, oh my God, I want an autograph, you know, and Rodman was an angel. I have stories for days about him, but, um, and Jordan was an angel. And um, my grandpa asked Scotty for an autograph for me. If I could have one, I went up. And he says, I don't do autographs after eight. And it was like- After eight? Yeah, like whatever time it was, you know? And he was like, come on, like, just, she's a little girl. Like, you know, he's like, no, like that. And he was so rude, and so I've never let it down. <laughs> because it is, I can still remember, I had such a visceral reaction to being like, are you kidding wow. me? And like, to this day, I can't stand Scottie Pippen because of it. Like, because I just was like, you were so mean to a little kid. Like, you know, and you see, so anyways, long story short, that's my internal dig to Scottie Pippen of don't meet your idol. But, wow. um, but everyone says he's lovely, so I'm not sure. Like maybe it was an off day. I'll say. Um, yeah, and you, you you never know where people are, especially if it's like post game totally. and stuff like that. Totally, it's totally. Like, wait, why? What? So this wasn't at a game? No, 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 no. It was afterwards at a rest. Like like he was walking into a restaurant, and I and everyone oh. was like, oh my god, everyone was giving autographs to all the kids that were like there, you know. Anyways, so we'll forgive him, but but I'm still hung up. Wow, the fact that it's a visceral reaction still, contains in your it's I'm very 36 years old i have not let this go like what is wrong with me? 30 years like, oh my god um, but neither here nor there we're gonna ignore that story because i feel like i've said that story so many times but i'm just like so excited that that you got to experience this and that you did meet your idol and that he is so wonderful but it's just a reminder that they are human beings like we are all human beings we all make mistakes you know, it, it happens. Like it absolutely happens. So I absolutely love that you shared that. What has been your number one thing that you have experienced or learned um, while you were at this huge position at the Knicks? Um, you know, I've, I've said this a number of times now, but like I think for me initially, when it comes to well, two things, my I, I think the greatest career moment in my life is when um, I was placed, I, I, a collage of me was put on the jumbotron at Madison Square Garden, and then I was given airtime for about 20, 30 seconds on the jumbotron on Filipino Heritage Night. Oh, wow. They honored, they just did a little collage with they collage with Eric Spolstra, with Jalen Green, with Jordan Clarkson, and then and then they'll be like, and with from your New York Knicks, Erwin Benedict Valencia, oh. he's the blah 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 blah, and then this whole collage thing, and it was in Filipino Heritage Night, and I think a quarter of the uh, the arena was Filipinos because oh, wow. we were doing a Filipino Heritage Night, and so the cheers were like pretty massive, and I was like, wow, I, not only did I felt that, uh, for me the funniest part was. They, you know, there's, there was an extra time and I know the, the events director, you know, events director at the bottom, she goes, so what do we do now? There's some dead time. It's like, oh, just put it on Irwin. And like the camera just focused on me, multiple angles. And one of my players elbowed me and goes like, dude, I think you're in the Jumbotron like live right now. And it was the middle of a timeout. And I look back, I was like, oh my God. And my first 
instinctual reaction was to pull up the peace sign like this, Aww. pull up the peace sign, and then switch over. It's like, oh, this is the moment to drop the BTS Korean parts. And I did. <gasps> oh my god! I did this like, oh, and then like. <laughs> Was the crowd and then going everyone wild. just chuckled? Yes. They were just chuckling. They're like, "Of course you would do peace and the Korean oh my BTS hearts." Wow. That was hilarious, um, and I, that was a pure. That I will never forget that moment in my life. That that was the highlight of my professional career, right. and that happened this year. Wow. And I, I get kind of like I get emotional sure. about that because it, just, it made me realize not only was I valued as as Nick but as valued as a leader and a community member of the Filipino community, yeah. particularly in New York City, mm-hmm. and how, how much respect I had for that. And so th- that is probably from, from an external standpoint was the greatest moment, moment in my professional career. But the biggest lesson that I learned, not only you know being with the Knicks, but also with the almost two decades working in elite sport, is that we as teachers, as guides, as Sherpas, as mentors, as gurus, all we can do to the athletes that we serve is merely plant the seed. Mm. And whatever technique it is that we're doing, whatever suggestion, meditation practice, whatever it is that we teach them in order for them to either A, maintain or B, be better or perform better, all we can do is plant the seed. Right. We, we can't force them to grow. We can't pull in their strings up so that their their roots get bigger faster we can't over water them we can't you know we can't make sure we blow wind and sunshine them they have to do it themselves and in their own time grow and when there's a calamity that hits yeah well if it gets too hot then we'll add a little water if it gets too windy then we put a little shelter but we can't hold their hand the entire time because they have to make their choices and make the decisions of where when and where they'll grow and so I think this is such a big lesson for a lot of coaches, a lot of people in the medical field, in the world of sports, because they're their own individuals that are still growing and going through their own process. Right. And sometimes we try to accelerate that process too much when in fact, it's going to get there. Mm-hmm. They just need to maintain and do what they're doing and then do them. And then one day when they're ready, then they'll ask for help because now they're ready to ask for help to then elevate themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's the biggest lesson. For so many people from the outside looking in, trust me, in the past almost 20 years, people are going like, well, you know, I'm, hey man, you know, I know you do the meditation stuff, but I can bring my style of meditation. You know, I've been doing my meditation for five yeah. years. I have a brand yeah. and I could go and go in your, I could go into your, your team and maybe we could do a 20 minute, 30 minute meditation. And I'm just like, yeah, first of all, they're going to be like, you know, people, my players are going to be like, who the heck is this guy? Yeah. Number two is like, now you're just going to destroy the entire rapport I've created with the players with regards to the importance of doing some of these alternative yeah. things. So, so it's kind of interesting. It's like, you know, from the outside looking in, people feel so excited that they can do something. But when in fact, you know, it, it takes time as with anything. Mm. Some people that finally ask me to lead them on meditation on the court, that was a four-year process. Wow. It isn't like on that day itself that like, oh, we're going to do this. No, no. It, it, it took four years of a relationship for them to a, trust a, me of enough. Of course, a bonding. Yeah, of bonding, but also for them to be that plant that finally grew up and for that plant to be like, yeah, can you can you give me a little sunshine? Wow. You know, in a sense. Now, what is the next step for you in the next mm. the next, you know, the next evolution of EBV that. Elvis yeah. Benedict Valencia as so. you must. Uh, you know, from for me, 
I need to take some time off mm-hmm. first, like truly take a six months to a year off. And I mean that meaning that like, I'm going to, especially when I go back to the Philippines, everyone's going to be like, Hey, can you do this talk? Well, you have so many godchildren that you're going to have to take care <laughs> of as well. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think I've said no already early enough sure. because I said, look, I purposely did this where I am right now, this next step, because I want some time for myself. Sure. I want to value my, 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 overall my well-being my my mental spiritual emotional and physical well-being and i want to honor that first and get back to a good place completely so i'm ready number two number two i think within the time and particularly because my intention for 2024 ironically is space Mm. and that came from burning man which is usually when i set my intentions was around august september and my intention there which was a pilot for what 2024 was going to be was to open myself up to be loved fully. Oh, I love that. In every possible way. And space in 2024 now means not only space to love myself, yeah. but also open myself up to love, to have a to have a true meaningful relationship yeah. to then in turn have that become, you know, maybe turn into a family. Mm-hmm. And I think for so long being a professional sport it's almost impossible. To do that. If you go into professional sport single, it's hard to get to get that situation, particularly right. if you're a high performer. If you know, if you will go in, you're going to be with your your partner, and you're going through the challenges together. Sure, sure, sure. But sure. if you're going in, you're now riding a train that's going 100 miles an you hour, can't get off. and somebody yeah. you meet be like, "Hey, either a they're up for the adventure only for a couple of weeks, months, and then they're like, okay, you're just gone too much." Yeah. Number one, or number two, number two, they're in the same boat where they're traveling around the world. They're have startup. They're flying all over the place, and then you become business partners right. where you open your calendar and be like, what "Hey, when's works? a good time for right. us to go on a quick holiday? What day works?" Right, right. And I've been I've been told by some amazing thought leaders from around the world, relationship experts, experts who've asked me, "Do you really believe that that's a relationship?" Yeah. And I said, you're right. It's not. It's not a relationship at all. I mean, it's yeah. not. And it's it's and then throw kids in it and it's even harder, you know. And so I think that what you're doing by creating this space and and finding a new version of yourself, it's like, you know, you're finding another layer is what you're doing. You're going to you're going to experience that. And I think it's so wonderful that you're going back to the Philippines and that you're going to get to experience so much in this state of your life. I think that that's what's really cool is like going back and you've been experiencing the different ways and different roles that you've, you know, obtained. And now it's like, this is who you are in this moment and just enjoy it. Because in 20, by 2024, it would have been almost exactly 25 years since I last lived in the Philippines. Wow. So it's kind of crazy. And who I've become in that half a quarter, a quarter century of my life is a completely different person. I've achieved the dreams that I wanted to achieve. Now I can share my wisdom back home to those that need it, but also at the same time, you know, find opportunities to continue to serve um, not only the people in my community and people back home, but also from a global aspect. How can I share these stories that I've had there or this bit of wisdom in order to help people's lives? And I think you people always ask me okay what is really next what's the ethos of what's going to be next for me it's it's supporting those that support Mm. others that's my biggest thing and i say that because as 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 somebody that's working in the professional sport industry for for almost 20 years i always took care of people the athletes i served 
but then nobody really took care of me. Right, right, right. You know, like I, I had to always come to work with a smiley face yeah. and like nothing's happening because I, me and my staff would set the tone for how the players sure. would feel. Sure. If you're negative Nancy, the oh, players will feel that right away course. and they're going to practice or a game in a bad mood. So now you, no matter what's happening through your life, you have to put a smile on your yeah. face and be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm here for you. you know, deep Let's inside, do it. You're burning. Yep. Yeah. And it burns out. You know? So, so for me, it's going to be my mission to create something, whether it's a business, whether it's content, whatever, to help support those that support others. Right. Oh, I absolutely love that. This kind of goes into my final question, um, but what is your emotional support? Mm, that's there. Therein lies the question. Mm. You know, I I, I was asked um, at, a, at, a, at a university. I did a talk at Dominican University, which is uh, the PT department there, the students there, and the diversity the, the diversity club invited me. And somebody asked me about this, like how how what keeps you grounded or what keeps you supported? And I said, you know, two things or three things. One, it's my my daily practice. Yeah. My daily practice gives me the support I needed for myself to be like, okay, as long as I get my meditation in, as long as I take my more, the first thing I do when I first wake up in the morning, even before I move or open my eyes, I put my hand on my heart, put my other hand on top of my right hand. I take a nice deep breath and I, and I say, I'm so grateful that I can take another breath this morning mm. and be alive so I can so I can continue to create impact in this world. That's how I start my day. And then I write my journal, I do my meditation, I do my dance and movements and stuff like yeah. that. So that's one. Number two, family. You know, when, when, when things get crazy or I get overwhelmed, having my brother 45 and his family and my nephew is 45 minutes away from me <sighs> in Connecticut has been a godsend oh, yeah. this entire time. I mean, to them, I'm just Uncle E. Aww. To them, I I'm the I'm the uncle that comes in, who's cool ready to uncle. play basketball, who's who's ready to destroy them yeah. in basketball, but also get destroyed when they play hockey. Yeah. And and then I also make them run around, do like tournaments yeah. and all that other yeah. stuff. So, but I'm also very disciplined. I'm the guy that does a lot of discipline. I'm I'm actually getting mad at them and scream at them, and which is funny because my brother does it. <laughs> and so I'm the fun uncle, but also I'm also a disciplinarian. Yeah. Because it's also not my kids, so it's yeah, like, it's like <laughs> so, so, so I'm like, okay, I've done my yeah, job, yeah. I'm a, yeah. you know, and um, yeah. and so, but them going to them, I'm just Uncle E. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter work for the Knicks or it doesn't matter all the things that I do. I'm Uncle E that that destroys them on the basketball court and just has fun with them, but also makes sure that they're disciplined and supports them. And I'm there at their hockey games and all that stuff. Number two and number three, having a good community you are the five people you spend yes. most of your time with and having an epic group of people that i can count on especially during the times that i'm going through some challenges for me is the biggest source of support i have and i think one of those groups um is is really the people that i've met through mind valley mm. you know as somebody who's been part of the mind valley you know community for 10 years they've provided so much support not only in the dark days but also when they know that i need to i need champions to lift me up and say like hey you deserve something bigger than this and i think it's part of them in my head that said hey i know you love this nba thing i know this makes you feel kind of nice and fuzzy because the filipino people love you because of it but you have a greater calling yeah. your message needs to go beyond basketball yeah. and i think having them to, to to really champion me in this has really helped me slowly evolve to who I am today. Mm. 
Oh, I love that. And I just, I adore you. And I just love you. I think you are so, you are such a, a, a light in this world. Um, and I just get so excited when I see your name and, and I, I was Aww. just looking forward to this so much. Um, so you have no idea. I was just really, truly looking forward to this. This is such a wonderful, important conversation. And so many people are going to learn so much from this. Um, so thank you so much. How can everyone follow you along on the next journey? Ooh, well, I'm going to be in ghost mode okay. first. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I, ghost mode slash monk mode. That's what's going to happen for us probably for, for a little, little bit. Um, channeling my inner best DJ Shetty's voice in my head going like okay be a monk be a monk yeah. first for for a month or two months just be like in this of course a bit different because i'm going to be like in a little bamboo hut yeah. in the <laughs> beach in the philippines somewhere fishing and climbing coconut trees that's uh so um but they'll, they'll follow me on on, on my socials and, and all my socials from instagram right. twitter um uh, youtube linkedin are all erwin b valencia all all of those links up there um i think more than anything else to uh support my two nonprofits. One is the Grasshopper Project, growing legs, so to speak. And there's a lot of stuff we can do with that, that from a mentorship side. And then Gratitude Gang, which uh, which is basically a community that helps with my, from a mental health standpoint. And uh, and so that will be propagating a lot in the Philippines. So the websites for both Gratitude, Gratitude Gang will come up soon because we're working we're finishing the revisions for grasshopper project and then my own website erwinvalencia.com is currently under revision and so when that pops out it'll be a whole different version of me and so i'm excited oh i love it well i'll have all the links um down below thank you so much 